What ho, podcast land, and welcome to, oh my, oh my goodness, an absolute milestone episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Duck Past. That's right. Oh, mystery voice across the pond. Podcast land, I am Leon, your humble host, and with me this evening, my co-host, my special guest this evening is... Someone you have heard on the podcast before, someone who has made sneak appearances here and there, perhaps you you may recall. I'm talking, of course, about and with Peter Zunich, the Zunmeister himself. Hello, Peter. Hello. Hi, everybody. How's it going? You can't answer me, but I asked anyway. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Who Back When. You made it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to the very, very, one of the last episodes ever. I've been waiting for, what, 10 years now? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, he who waits and so on and so forth. Very nice to have you on board. So the first thing you do is you throw me for a loop because I totally forgot that you were going to say, or Doc passed, and I, I wasn't ready for it. That's, that's just keeping you on your toes. All right, start again. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast land, this evening we are regaling your earballs with something utterly and audibly delectable. We're doing the undoable, but we're going to have an eighth Doctor retrospective after having really only encountered the eighth Doctor in a very limited form. I say that, he's been in the movie, of course, but we have also actually on Who Back When encountered him in myriad audiobooks even in two comic books, in the five-ish Doctor reboots, and here and there he has popped up as essentially just B-roll somewhere in the background alongside a whole bunch of other Doctors who did not show up to, to the shoot that day. But yes, the Eighth Doctor retrospective. Peter, how do you feel about the Eighth Doctor? I, You know, overall, I honestly think he's phenomenal. And and when you had your, your last podcast and it was brought up that he is like the quintessential doctor, in some ways he very much is. And maybe we're kind of looking at it through colored lenses because he is, he's only got so much that we've watched. That's true. And what we have watched is beautiful. That's true. Uh, give or take. And the audiobooks are, I'm sure we've said that on the show as well, they're simply enabled to explore realms of Doctor Who that the TV show for budgetary or production reasons never could explore. So he's given a few opportunities that other Doctors usually aren't given. Yeah. So to give a little bit of background, that's probably where I could, where I fit into all this, because uh, I haven't watched any of the, or read any of the comic strips or anything like that. I have listened to a ton of the audios. Nice. Um, I don't know, remember all of them, but I'm going to listen to them again. <laughs> I do know, I can tell you that I started out with The Eighth Doctor because you have all these audios and you go, well, which one am I going to listen to first? I mean, Big Finish has a huge selection, of especially course. if you're getting into it late. And I said, hey, let's do The Eighth Doctor. I don't know much of him. I had listened to a couple of them beforehand and we can get into a few of the good ones and bad ones, but one thing I can say is the Eighth Doctor's first adventure in his monthly adventures is the first time I said, hey, Doctor Who audio dramas is really good. Oh, wow. 
that is that's a fantastic review of it. Is that not the same as the Eighth Doctor Adventures, or is that the same as the Eighth Doctor? Is that Blood of the Daleks? I'm still trying. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure this all out. But yes, basically they have the monthly releases or monthly main range they called it or something. That's right. Yeah. And then they had the Eighth Doctor Adventures, which I thought was slightly different because they have ones where he actually travels with Mary Shelley. Yes. And those yeah. are not part of the main range. Oh, that's a whole different series. There's also the new Eighth Doctor Adventures. Right. And then I think there's, or well, maybe it's the same thing. I was going to say, after the Eighth Doctor Adventures, his time with Lucy Miller is, is Donzo. But there's another series of him traveling with Lucy Miller, I believe, that follows on from that. Right. Yeah, um, so tons, tons of material. Yes. And that's not even counting all the spin-offs and parallel universes and, and alternate things that have gone on and the, the crossover adventures and things yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And just all of the lore, just the fandom fawning over the Doctor who could have been. What's funny is that we have Paul McGann on camera less than anyone else. And yet yeah. we have more of Paul McGann than anyone else. Is that true? Has he done more audiobooks and comics and everything else? Or that, According that to the wiki page, he has been... The longest running doctor that because he was there all through mad. the break and things like that. that. I don't I don't know how true that is or what the context is, but yeah. I can tell you about the movie. I was in my mid twenties <gasps> when it came out. And yeah, I screw remember everything else. I want to hear about this. I remember that premiere quite, quite well. Oh um, my god. It Wait. was advertised in America, it was advertised really heavily by Fox. Really? Yeah. They had commercials for it every ten minutes. The downside is, I believe, if I remember right, it would, came up against something else. I think it was a sporting event or something. It wasn't like the Super Bowl, but it was on at the same time as something else. So that hurt it a little bit. And you, obviously, you knew Doctor Who beforehand. You, yes. You knew what this was about. But people in general, like the general public, wasn't all that aware of Doctor Who, I assume, I'm assuming. In America, it was kind of like there were those who were watching it on PBS. They were kind of in the know, I guess you could say or they maybe got it from the library or something like that. And then there were the people that made fun of it. <laughs> That's fair. And like then all the protagonists of Stranger Things. Yeah. And then the rest of the 95% of the population probably <laughs> didn't know about it. But they knew Eric Roberts and they knew cool action sci-fi. And that was probably enough. I mean, it, it was popular enough that The Simpsons had him as a character and things like that. It was, it was oh, around. Cool. Yeah. That's true. So how did you feel when the film came out? You know, I was excited. I genuinely thought it was passage back to it coming on TV. I had missed a lot of the things. My local PBS station started playing Doctor Who always from either Tom Baker or John Pertwee. Never got anything earlier. So I had a very limited range. I knew there was all this stuff out there and I, I couldn't watch it. Right. Um, and then even when they got the Peter Davidson and then so forth... They would play that and then repeat the whole series and we'd never get the new stuff even though colin baker was out there we couldn't see him right away that's, so yeah that's interesting then it went off the air and we knew that there was that they were not making it anymore and so forth when the movie came back i was definitely all excited but i think the general feeling was that they were doing this to see if it could transition into an american production they liked to America likes to steal good ideas. <laughs> and this was definitely what they did right, though. We were, we were all tributes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tribute. We were all nervous, though. We thought, hey, they're going to ruin it. They're going to Americanize it like they did with the Red Dwarf pilot and so forth. 
I've um, not seen the American Red Dwarf pilot. I've seen an American Faulty Towers pilot, and that's <sighs> enough to give up on any kind of Americanization of BBC or ITV properties. I don't remember if the Red Dwarf was before or after, but it was bad. If you ever <laughs> get a chance to watch it, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to get around actually watching all of the original Red Dwarf before I watch the remake attempts. But yeah, sure. No, yes, I get what exactly. you're saying. It's a show for you, like like, <laughs> like you've been told, yes. But that's the thing. So if Doctor Who had turned into an American show, if it had been picked up and just been turned into its own thing, it would have been turned into its own thing for an entirely new audience. And that probably would have been fine. It's sort of like the The Office was picked up, turned into an American, well, remade in America, and then turned into a show entirely of its own, very distant from what the original was. And it's great. Like It it stands up. It holds up to the original. Well, the first thing that gave us a reassuring uh, note was that we heard that, A, the Doctor was still going to be British. Right. um, And B, that um, they were not going to ignore all the history and start from scratch. Yeah, that's um, utterly fantastic. And at the same time, slightly scary because it means there's tons of intellectual property, tons of law that an entirely new, inexperienced production company can shit all over. Yes. yes. <laughs> like if, they, if they were in a position to start their own legends, build their own history, that's fine. Do that. <laughs> but, but if there's absolutely no respect for the intellectual property, but you still have the same origins, that's tricky territory or potentially right. tricky. I'll tell you a fun one, though. We were all reassured at that point. We're anxiously waiting for it. And by we, I mean me and two others. And I picked up, back in those days, we had the TV guide, Mm -hmm. right? A little booklet that told you what was going to be on for that month. And they'd have some news articles and information about things that went on. You couldn't just find out what was going to be on television by turning on the television. So I'm flipping through the TV guide. And this one had a special on Doctor Who. And one of the stories was... The Doctor Snogs' companion in the new Doctor Who movie. Did it use the word snog? It did. Did it? That's amazing. Really fun story, though, because I was not up on the lingo at that time. And I'm like, what does snog mean? Like if he if he's kissing somebody, that's fine. But if he's if he's doing the dirty, I don't I don't want to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) So thankfully, it ended up being what it was being. And I was very much reassured. Well, that's good. <laughs> so when you watched the the film, did you feel that this was, that Paul McGann was the Doctor? Did he do a good job of embodying this character? Yes. Paul McGann just, just took it and ran with it. You have a couple other Doctors who take some time to get into the role and so forth. I think he jumped right into it. I'm sure he did his research. I can't necessarily say the same thing about Eric Roberts, who I believe at a convention has admitted that he didn't watch any Doctor Who before taking on the role. But I find that not at all hard to believe. (laughs) Well, for years, I really did not like his performance. I like him as an actor. I didn't like his performance of the master because I felt it wasn't the master. Like, Like you already said, it was the Terminator. It was something else. But in rewatching it recently for the podcast, I liked him. I thought he was good. I think actually he's he's both the best and worst villain of <laughs> McGann's run. <laughs> you know, he, yeah, he's he's pretty. He's certainly very theatrical. But I get what you're saying. I I suspect that he hadn't immersed himself in the history of the character at all, the way that right. Paul McGann seemingly certainly had and i wonder how much of that is just research how much of that is osmosis just being an actor or working in television or 
maybe also just being from England, like that might also factor <laughs> in, you know, that's very cool. Maybe they just found the right person for the job. I think that's, I think they just did a good casting. Do you know if there were other candidates for the eighth doctor? You know, I don't. I want to look it's, it up because I feel like that's the research we should have done. That's a very good question. I can say that the movie, when it aired, brought in 5.5% of the viewers. And in the UK had about 9 million viewers, which in those days is not anything to snarf at. Hmm. But it wasn't, I guess, what they were totally looking for to... It wasn't the landslide that was would have made them move forward with the new series. And from what I remember, it wasn't so much that the ratings were awful or not as expected. It was just that it suddenly became so embroiled in rights and so forth that uh, they just couldn't do it. You know, you had the BBC who had the rights to the show, and then you had this other company who had the rights to the Doctor Who movie. But there was another company who kind of sort of held some rights to a US version of a series if that ever took off. And it just got confusing at that point, and they could never bring it all together. Oh, that's, that's what I heard, anyway. I mean, that sounds like a little bit of a nightmare. I don't know in what way this fits into that, but uh, Google tells me that one other actor was offered the role, a little-known actor, named Harry Van Gorkum. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know him from Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, Harry. So Harry Van Gorkum... <laughs> He was in Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. He played Ticketed Driver in the Pink Panther 2 with... Uh, that's that's not the original Pink Panther 2. That's Pink Panther 2 with Steve Martin. And he played the MC in Batman and Robin. Okay, I saw that. I don't remember it. <laughs> same. And same. The choice between those two actors, I feel like they probably went with the right one. I don't mean to diss Harry Van Gorkum in any way. I'm, I'm sure he has his qualities, but yeah, no, interesting. So let's see here. Paul McGann only has the one film. He then jumps into audiobooks. He does a whole bunch of that. The Eighth Doctor becomes one of these sort of saving graces of the wilderness years. What are we going to do? We have the Eighth Doctor kind of tidying us over. Is he always depicted in the same way? And slash or has he grown in the role of the Doctor? So for myself, I feel like he certainly is more whimsical in the movie than he is in the Eighth Doctor Adventures, for example. He's much more down-to-earth, much more rational in the audiobooks. I do feel like he gets a little more aggressive with people in the audiobooks. He has yes. a little bit less of a patience for idiocy or, or incompetence. Yeah, that's. I agree with you. I know exactly what you mean. This might factor in. Do you know how old he is as the Eighth Doctor? And how old is he when he re when he reincarnates, when he regenerates into the Eighth? And how old is he when he leaves and turns into Eccleston? Oh, sorry, turns into the War Doctor. I don't know if they mention it in any of the audios. I haven't gotten to heard anything like that yet. But so the last report that I can remember is that in Time and the Rani, Sylvester yeah. McCoy says he's nine hundred and fifty three years old. Yes, that's right. I don't know if there's any updates after that. Sorry, I just said, yeah, that's right, as though I knew that. I did not, <laughs> to full disclosure, I had no idea. <laughs> and and I apologize for actually knowing that. <laughs> yes, I feel bad for showing my geek side sometimes. No, it, it, don't worry, you're, you're on the right show. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't cool bikers cast. The, yeah, anyway, <laughs> who back roids, that sort of thing. I wonder if he is the Eighth Doctor long enough to merit develop 
developing this edge that I think he definitely gets. Like, imagine if you picture him in the film after he's regained his memories and everything else, and then you picture him in Night of the Doctor, his very last night as the Eighth Doctor. Those are two very different individuals. The Eighth, the eighth Doctor that night has an edge. He's he's gnarled and scarred. The time war has happened or is happening. He's 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 a bit more of a badass. He's surly. There's a little bit more Capaldi in him. Than there I, is at the stars. I actually totally agree. I am, and it was a point that I had noted down to talk about oh, because nice. he starts in the movie. You're right. He's he's very casual and flippant and open, and, and what he carries through all of it is that he's able to drop a, a quick insult in the middle of chaos that some people don't even pick up on, which is great. Hmm. But he does get a little more cynical and and angry, I guess you could say, or or disheartened throughout the years. And I'm not sure if that continues through the later audiobooks. I've only gotten to the early ones. I'm trying to listen to them in order. But uh, yes, it ends up at, with the Night of the Doctor where he is completely destroyed when he meets Cass and, and she right. refuses help from him. That destroys. Imagine a guy who's devoted his entire life to helping the universe and someone refuses that help because he is who he is. Yeah, exactly. Someone who, it, the second he introduces himself as the Doctor, I, I should have rewatched Night of the Doctor, but as I recall, Cass goes, oh my god, is that a TARDIS? Are you the Doctor? The Doctor is essentially synonymous with the Destroyer, something along those lines. And I, Not the Doctor per se, but are you a Time Lord? Oh, Time Lord, is that what it is? Yeah. Being associated with something so destructive, so negative, when he has devoted close to a millennium? a millennium give or take a few years what a few years between friends uh to nothing but positivity and improving the universe yeah you can you can see his ego being scarred his soul just starting to crumble but i wonder if there's more to it than that because before when he shows up he's in that freaking love that outfit when he shows up in Cass's spaceship and he wears what is now sort of the modern eighth doctor the same outfit that he wears in every single photoshopped cover of the eighth doctor adventures since when or not eighth doctor adventures most of the audiobooks that he's done since he looks weathered and he seems weathered he's been around the universe there's almost a cynicism to it that wasn't there when he met grace holloway yes i agree so which? Oh, sorry, I just cut you off there. No, no. Which of the prior doctors can you see in him, and in which of the later doctors can you see the eighth? Oh, that's a great question. Wow, I think uh -huh. he is a perfect amalgamation of like where Sylvester McCoy ended up. Okay. And Patrick Troughton. I was going to say Troughton as well. He's got a little bit of that uh, clownish kind of attitude. And yet he gets very cynical and he also has that airing of, I know more than I'm telling. <laughs> yeah, that's, I see exactly what you're saying. He's certainly, he's, I, th I think possibly just for age reasons, I don't think Paul McGann ever tries to channel Hartnell. No. But he also never tries to do a Pertwee. He's never action man in that sense. Or James Bond guy. Maybe because he knows that it's a losing battle he'd be fighting. He never tries to channel Tom Baker. Colin Baker's cynicism and meanness, does that ever come up? I feel like he's almost too nice for that. He's not Davison nice, but he's not so mean as to be Colin Baker. No, what he's got is that Davison anger 
when something really yes. goes off the rails. Yes. And he does have that edge of maybe he could fail at any moment kind of thing that Davidson had. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I, I think that's also a matter of relativism. I think Davison is at least considered such a jovial character, as in his doctor is such a jovial character, that the second he ceases to be that, the second he becomes angry, that means tenfold what anyone else could possibly express when they get angry. It's yeah. the, uh, this is going to be offensive to a certain portion of the audience. There's an expression in, uh, I'm from Sweden, there's an expression in Sweden about uh, Norwegians, and that is... That, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, all Norwegians. <laughs> Also, all, all people in Sweden. Actually, you know what? This isn't that offensive, and I don't know how established an expression this is, but I certainly remember hearing at least plural people saying this, and that is, like, beware a Norwegian who doesn't smile. And the reason for that is that Norwegians are such a good-natured, fantastically lovely people, uh, lovely than the Swedes probably will admit, but the second you meet a Norwegian who isn't smiling, fucking get out of the room, man, because they have good reason for it. <laughs> That reminds me of the, the old Monty Python sketch where he's going, we can't think of anything negative to say about the Belgians. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that sketch, I should say. But oh, I, it's, a, it's a great I sketch. Don't imagine where that goes. <laughs> I, I, ha I have a couple of people, who friends who live in Norway and... Um, all I can say is, I want to go. <laughs> so if that redeems us in any way. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, I'm telling you, they're lovely people. They are absolutely wonderful. Their yes. language is incomprehensible, but they are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So one of the things that I found also with the, with the Eighth Doctor is his ability to uh, slip into a secondary role when the characters want to come out. And this comes out more oh. in the audio dramas. I, you could kind of say that a little bit in the movies, but they do a great job in the audio dramas of the doctor isn't always the one who saves the day, but he probably inspired his companion to save the day. Oh, I love that. That's very um, interesting. It comes out very much with Charlie and Lucy and with Liv. I haven't explored too many of those. So just so everybody knows, I have gotten up to... Uh, I'm in the middle of the road with Lucy right now. I haven't gotten to Dark Eyes or anything like that. So Charlie is the first one, right? He That's his first companion in the audio adventures, at least chronologically yeah. speaking. So technically, there's the comic strips first. They have Izzy, Destry, Frobisher, which we'll come back to. He's one to talk about. And Frobisher. Josie Day, which I know nothing about. Uh -huh. Then they have Sam and Bernice Summerfield. Oh, of course, Bernice. Yes. Where does Mary Shelley factor in? That's audio. So, version, right? There's a whole controversy as to what's canon, of course, and so forth. But the idea is that if you're going by Big Finish only, Mary Shelley is would would technically be his first companion after Grace. I don't even know if Daphne Ashbrook has done any audio adventures with him. I I don't think so. Podcast Land will tell us. Which is a shame because she is... I've heard some interviews with her before and she is ready to go. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, oh, well, yeah. You should she, absolutely do this. There, there yeah. are tons of people who want to write them. What is she? What is she doing, by the way? Like, is she... I want to look her up. As of a few years ago, I know she was still doing acting here and there. She's definitely been doing the convention rounds, in, at least in the United States and so forth. I don't know too much. Okay. Anyway, but, sorry, um, I completely interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no. But when you get to the audio dramas, it starts with Mary Shelley and then Charlie and 
I'm going to mispronounce this, Kariz? Kariz? Yeah, I, I found this as well. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't listened to any of those yet. I am very excited. He is one of the names that is called out in Night of the Doctor, too. Bingo. That's that's almost the sum total of the research I did for this podcast episode. <laughs> Copy-pasting that quote from Night of the Doctor. He mentions Charlie... Chris or Chris, however you say it, Lucy, Tamsin, Molly, friends, companions I've known. Right. After Molly would be Liv, Helen Sinclair, who I haven't met yet, and Bliss, who I haven't met yet. Bliss. Okay. Interesting. Um, but what I can say is that in the audios I've listened to, they've been very heavy on the companions, and the companions often do go off on their own. And in the Eighth Doctor's case especially, they're not afraid to confront the Doctor uh, and call him out on something when he does something out of the ordinary or, or foolish or stupid. Um, they're very much treated as peers with him, and he accepts that, which I think is yeah, a great is... characterization for him that doesn't show up in other Doctors. Yeah, that is certainly to his credit. Would you say that... Yeah, okay, well, actually, no, you've already answered my question then. So that doesn't... That's not a character trait he shares with anyone else. Is he representative of a slightly more egalitarian TARDIS community, so to speak, than anyone else? Yeah, there's still a divide. He, he definitely wants to protect them and will keep them safe until... Don't touch the controls and so forth, but he's not Peter Davidson where it's like him and a bunch of youngins that he's trying to corral. That would be the closest to an equal or maybe Romana. But yeah, in these cases... groom into becoming cannon fodder for himself. Yeah, Right, right. With Romana, it's more of a back and forth kind of, you know, whatever, until you get to Romana 2, where they're more on par with each other and they can yeah. be independent. Um, with these characters, they are very much correcting him when he's wrong and so forth. They're not afraid to go on their own. Interesting. So is he more is he more realistic and more vulnerable than the other doctors? From what I've listened to so far, I would never say that he's vulnerable. Oh, okay. I feel he's... like this is the guy who even if he doesn't know what's going on, he's going to make it seem like he is totally in control. Right. Okay. You know, chaos frequently happens all around him and yet he's the only one going, I can fix this. I can fix this. <laughs> Even if he can't fix it. But you get that with a few other doctors, don't you? I mean, it, oh, definitely, yes. Yeah. Matt Smith, Capaldi, maybe Tennant as well. There's there's a fair bit of, I won't let on that I don't really know what's happening until the moment that we're going to have the inevitable sort of act two, act three, whatever, holy smokes, everything is going to end. This is the last episode of the show, obviously. It's not, so don't worry about it. But only at that point will they show some sort of vulnerability and lack of control. No, you make a good point, and it's something, it's a mistake. I mean, it, he is definitely, I'm comparing him to the old Doctors. I haven't been comparing him to the new series. Yeah, he sorry, is no, that a, is an unfair comparison. New doctor. No, 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 this is, it makes sense. He is definitely more, in some ways, more of a new Doctor than an old Doctor. That's a very, oh, oh, that's, I like that. Yes, you're right. He's, he's not afraid to have emotions. He's not afraid to explore relationships and so forth. And in fact, I would argue that his best audio dramas so far, 90% of them that I've listened to, they're not with old monsters or old villains. They're with yeah. humanoid foes. Oh, And those are the best ones when he can talk to them and relate to them on that human level and bring them down a notch. Is say. there? Does anything in particular stand out to you? There's definitely one, especially in early on, Immortable Beloved. 
which I believe you guys reviewed. Yes, that's you're absolutely right. We should do the lists later on, but that one that's one that I think numerically doesn't necessarily tally as one of the best audios in my case, as in numerically in terms of what I rated the audios on, on Who Back When, but it's one that stands out to me as incredibly interesting and very complex, emotionally and psychologically complex, both the story in general and the Doctor's interaction with all the different actors, as in actors both on protagonist and antagonist sides. Yes, absolutely. And uh, Immortal Beloved is the first one. That's the yeah. one with, I don't want to give too much away, but that's the one where everyone... The they reincarnate into their kids, sort of. Yes. Yeah. And then you get No More Lies. Yes, No More which Lies. Is, which is an elderly couple hosting a dinner party. That's or right. a lawn party. That's the Which, one with the vortisaurs, right? Hmm, I, I think don't the vortisaurs showing up. That like the time vortex opens or something. They're having a lawn party. It's all like cucumber sandwiches and gin, and then at some point the vortisaurs. It, it it feels like David Suchet should play every single character. I don't know the name of the guy who's in it, but I can see the CD cover in front of me right now, and I bet you he's been on at least one Poirot. Anyway, sorry. Yes. I'll, yes. I'll remove my boner. Apologies. Well, I'll I'll give you one better because I believe that one of my favorites later on has a mystery theme to it which oh. was definitely reminded me of a poor oh. uh, video oh i am intrigued <laughs> okay all right. right right but that's going back to no more lies it's not the best story it has its flaws but you do have from what i remember again i watched these listened to these a while ago i watched them in my mind <laughs> yes i like audio dramas i'm sorry <laughs> no apology necessary there's, have, have you ever heard of, I'm going to give a shameless plug here for somebody else that I like. Have Go you ever me. heard of the Tin Dog Podcast? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. So Michael from the Tin Dog Podcast loves audio dramas. And his story is that you get to make the pictures yourself in your mind. And how could you get any better than that? Right. So that's where I feel that's like point. these audio dramas come in. Uh, so I've watched No More Lies. Mm -hmm. And in that story, which again has its flaws, you have these two characters who you can picture perfectly and you can understand in the end why they've done or why they're doing what they do. And the reason that they work so well as a villain is because, you know, they're not the I'm going to dominate the universe type. They're the down to earth. Uh, maybe I went astray type. And Paul McGann is the perfect doctor for retaliating against those types of characters. When you can talk out your emotions, you can talk out why things are and, you know, solve the problem of the day without violence per se, or without resetting the universe or destroying everybody. That's kind of where Paul McGann fits in. And that's where he's at his best. And wow. That was like 10 minutes to get to that sentence. <laughs> hey, it, it was worth the journey. <laughs> Does this set a precedent for later who? I asked before, like how, which of the later doctors are potentially channeling the eighth doctor like in which later doctors can you see the eighth doctor we didn't really talk about that but do you think this particular character trait is something that knew who in general then took on board and went yeah no that's a truly positive trait to have in a protagonist especially in this protagonist we're going to try to incorporate that nestle that into the characterization going forward you know yes especially with jumps to mind matt smith yeah. he is he is the perfect revisitation of that kind of concept he is always about the relationships and the personality you know he amy and rory are the quintessential it's all about the relationships that's true and then you get into stepping back a bit what about capaldi and clara 
Christopher Eccleston, no. Capaldi okay. and Clara, yes, but only with each other. Capaldi, when it comes to other... Yes, he's looking out for other races, but when it comes to do I save the universe or or condemn these people to genocide or everlasting suffering in a time loop, uh, screw you guys. <laughs> Get out yeah. of here. Yeah. Jody goes back to let's enjoy the characters that we're with. The companions are the essential part of it. You know, I would say that David Tennant is probably the middle ground where there are some episodes or some stories where he will say the story, uh, talking it out is most important. There are some episodes where he says, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm the deciding factor here. I'm going to win. Interesting. You guys can all shove it. <laughs> that is interesting. I, I'm I'm struggling to remember a tenant episode that is like that. The the Doctor Who shows up in my mind first and foremost, who sort of embodies this, is in fact Capaldi. And the the situation, the the context in which that shows up is the I can't remember which one Zygon invasion or Zygon inversion. The the whole everyone stop. This is it. We're going to have a dialogue. We're going to resolve this this context. Or this this situation diplomatically, intellectually, socially, emotionally, there's no action man about this. But the driving force behind this is a sympathy that he has for a species based in large part on how he feels about his companion. Does it say something that I remember the audios more than I remember the new Doctor Who adventures? It's also very possible <laughs> that I'm completely misremembering that. No, that you're entirely a... right. You're well, entirely right. Capaldi does do that. And, and maybe that's something I can I didn't think of. But like with, with David Tennant, you have like the waters of Mars where he's saying, I'm a time lord, yes, I can do anything. That's so true, yeah. Versus the early David Tennant. He might actually be another embodiment of the Eighth Doctor where he has that journey at the beginning. He is very personable. He's very close with all his companions and so forth. And then as time goes on, he gets more and more disheartened with the universe. That's true. Where you're right. At, by the end, he is ready to say, screw you guys, listen to me. <laughs> and he gets punished for it, too. He, well, yeah, he is the shit. What was it? The Time Lord Victorious. He turned. He, yes. Yeah, exactly. He turns into that. No, that's so true. Holy smokes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we figured out the Eighth Doctor. <laughs> Done. Thanks for listening, Podcast Land. Okay. Is is there anything else, any other aspect, idiosyncrasy of the Eighth Doctor or or part of his, their history that you want to discuss before we get into the nitty gritty of best worsts, yada, yada, yada? By the way, spoiler alert, I haven't even completed my best worst list. So what they do have for Paul McGann in the audio adventures is a tendency to, they've expanded on that long-running theme. They have overarching stories, like they started with even as far back as Peter Davison and, and continued through, especially with McCoy. They have many, many stories where, or many themes, where they're one in the background. They'll start off with even Charlie, the, her very first episode. As the listener, you know there's something that's not right by the end of that story. And that doesn't conclude for another 12 stories or something like that, probably even more. So they're not afraid to do these these overarching big themes that go on in the background. Some of them work, some of them don't, but then it continues with other characters. So Paul McGann's character, I would say his doctor, has a lot of those overarching themes that definitely they're not afraid to explore the long term. Interesting. I've only listened to the Lucy Miller ones, and that certainly also applies to that era of the Eighth Doctor. 
<laughs> yes, and I will say, while I didn't necessarily think... Um, Careful. <laughs> while I didn't necessarily... I will say that I didn't necessarily... I will start again, again. <laughs> I will say that while I didn't necessarily think Horror of Glamrock deserved your complete trashing <laughs> like it did... <laughs> It wasn't the best episode, but... I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry everyone who was involved in the production of that audiobook as well. <laughs> no, that was that was absolutely hilarious. And as far as the podcast goes, I applaud you, sir. That was awesome <laughs> to listen to. If you guys haven't listened to that, listen to it. I'm not sure I've listened to it since recording it. I, I mean, <laughs> need to give it a go and see if it needs to be taken off the internet. But just podcasts in general, the, the audios in general, just audios in general, Big Finish. If anyone hasn't listened to any of the Big Finish productions, listen to something. My if you're goodness, looking yes. for a place to start, definitely the very first Storm Warning with the first Charlie episode is a great place to start. Blood of the Daleks, as I mentioned, is the one that made me say, hey, Doctor Who audios are really good. Yeah. I would definitely recommend find every once in a while they have some free ones or a free partial episode or something like that to download. Find one and listen to it. I, I, I know most people are like, ah, I don't want any audio adventures. I don't have time for that. Listen to it. No, they're absolutely they're so worthwhile. They really are. And I've listened to a fraction of the ones that you've you've heard. But uh, my goodness, yes, please. If Podcast Land hasn't listened to. You know what? Not just Eighth Doctor. Big Finish in general. If they haven't listened to them, then they're missing out. I, I'll say that one of my favorite lines is the Blake Seven line. I've been a Blake Seven fan forever. And I kind of think those audio dramas stand out above most of the ranges. Oh, really? Um, and in the original ones, if you remember, there was a Blake Seven company that came together to perform before it went to Big Finish. There was another company that was doing Blake 7. They were going to do a recreation in audio. Oh, right. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was Nicholas Briggs. I'm not positive. In any case, they were doing an interview. Why? That's why. That sounds great. I I, I, Nick Nick Briggs. (laughs) Remember before when you said what research we should have done? I should have (laughs) looked this up. But it it was somebody, and they were saying, it was the producer of this whole series, and they said, look, you know, there's many ways to do this. And if you can afford it, by all means, pay for it. Listen to these audios because everybody gets paid. Everybody wants to work. Everybody, that's how we make more. But if you can't pay for it, if you're really strapped for cash, there are know, always find a, a way to listen to it because it is a really, really good story. <laughs> I completely agree. Also, full disclosure, the Negroni was speaking for on my part a moment ago. When you said Nick Briggs, my mind went Nick Courtney. That's why I went, holy smokes, I need to listen to Nick Courtney reenact <laughs> Blake 7. Absolutely. Nick breaks, yeah, yes, if there's nothing else on. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, Nick. Uh, I'm going to let him know you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later on, if you're, if anyone is interested, no one's going to be interested. But I, I can recommend a few other lines that, that maybe we'll do that in the list. A few lines oh, that people should listen to. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Please, podcast land, stay tuned. How do you feel about maybe delving into some of the nitty gritty? There will undoubtedly be tangents upon tangents upon tangents into conversation there. <laughs> yes, let's do that. 
Right. Okay. So why don't we start with something very simple? We typically say best worst story, that kind of thing. Okay. As far as as far as him on TV goes, there's so very little to choose from. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fifty-fifty choice. I think I know which one. It's gonna be one of these two. Oh right. Oh right. Okay, wait, hang on. Which one is the best? <laughs> Mr. Know It All, Smarty Pants. What, what, what is the best one? Uh you know, just for, for, for pure length and time on screen, I'm going to have to say the movie. That is true. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Incidentally, also my worst. Have you somehow separated his best worst on TV? Or on if you TV, had to pick something that is the worst, what would it be? Well, actually, if I had to pick the worst appearance on TV, I would have picked the, night, the, the power of the doctor because he was underutilized there. You know what? I totally forgot that he shows up in that. There's so many... Okay, just to go back for a minute, here is something I really wanted to mention. Okay, here we go. Okay, so we have... (laughs) Can you tell I feel passionate about this? Podcast land, he's just taken off his shirt. Carry on. We have... (laughs) I'm rubbing I'm rubbing the little guys. Is that linseed have... oil? <laughs> Sorry, carry on. We have Christopher Eccleston, who yes. doesn't want to come back, understandably, for the anniversary special. Yes. We have the power of the doctor in which Paul McGann shows up and does his last hurrah for that anniversary special for a preview. Yeah. Couldn't they just have easily instead of and at don't get me wrong, I love John Hurt like crazy, but couldn't they just have used Paul McGann as the War Doctor? We talked about this digression where he starts off as this amazing character and digresses into this lesser and lesser angrier person. By the end, couldn't they have just used him for the anniversary special? And man, w- could you imagine the reaction of the audience getting another Paul McGann story? Oh, that's such a good idea. Yes, I'm with you. I never considered this before. That's a really good idea. Rather than rely on chemistry to deteriorate his character, you have him just having been pounded by experience and sadness and tragedy, and that's what turns him into a war doctor. And maybe they thought of that. Maybe there was a a hang-up. Maybe he was busy or something like that. But that would have been my second choice for that. I'm sure he would have been fine i'm sure they can shift those productions by a couple of weeks something tells me that paul mcgann isn't so busy as an actor that he he can't make a bbc anniversary special yeah 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 such a good idea where were you when they were penning that story (laughs) that's a great idea you know i say that every day But when you go back to which one is the best appearance on television, okay, so we have the worst. When you go back to the best appearance on television, it's got to be out of time. (laughs) I I don't want to call it the movie anymore. They advertise the junk out of this, like I said, and every commercial said the doctor or the world is out of time. And that's how they marketed this thing. And that should have been the byline. And I don't know why people aren't calling it. I guess it's like a revisiting of, of... a thousand or one million BC or whatever it was called for unearthly child. It's oh, the same I see. kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But Doctor Who the movie is just a horrible, horrible name for that story. Um, yeah, especially for an audience that isn't familiar with Doctor Who the any other format. Correct. Yes. And incidentally, it could really use a a 4K revisiting and upscaling and enhancing and so forth. Yeah, certainly. Um, the the like you said, the the 
special effects held up so well that wouldn't it be great to see a Blu-ray version of that movie? Did they do that yet? I don't think so. Otherwise, uh, I, why I don't, don't I have why. it? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the movie. Okay. So if um, you now is... also... F- oh, sorry. Go on. Sorry. No, no, no I'm sorry. Uh, I had nothing. I was just making it up. <laughs> if you also factor in the Eighth Doctor's other appearances in other media, how does the movie stack up? So we have the audiobooks. Is there a particular audiobook that stands out to you as, or particular audiobooks that stand out to you as, these are not just stand out, they are, they are outstanding Eighth Doctor audiobooks. So in my limited experiences with this, remember I'm, I'm not full up on all the others, I will say that I'm going to go on conjecture. I've heard what other people have said, and I can't wait to listen to some of these. Oh, here but we here, go. Is, here is the list of the greatest Eighth Doctor episodes that I've come up with. Right. You have the movie. Yes. You have the Night of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, the story everyone talks about is Chimes of Midnight, which is actually a Christmas story. Chimes of Midnight? Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, I have not listened to that yet. I keep saying I'm going to listen to that on a special occasion, and I hope it lives up to its status, and I never listen to it because I don't want to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) As far as the early adventures, again, if you're going to start off at the beginning, Storm Warning was great. Um, Okay. I don't know if you've, you have listened to that, right? That's the R101. I've not heard it. I've not heard Storm Warning. I've only heard what is on Who Back When. I've not listened. Oh, that might not be true. I might have listened to a couple of other audiobooks, other audio adventures that we haven't reviewed yet. Is that an Eighth Doctor adventure? So the Storm Warning is definitely a good one. It's the very first episode with Charlie. Yeah, I've definitely not heard that. Without giving anything away, it's about the R101, the the whole Zeppelin thing. Oh, right. Um, Big historical moment and and chaos that ensues from that. And like pseudo-historicals of the past or unlike that, it's not necessarily that he causes the disaster, but it's that he's involved in it, which I think was great. It's a great story. Okay, Um, right. Is that the first one that he does with Charlie? That's the first one that he does with Charlie right after Mary Shelley. In fact, he does uh, start off the episode by talking about Mary Shelley, which is a fun one. And and that's another story we can go into, by the way, because uh, I kind of disagree with you on the original Frankenstein book, man. Wait, 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 wait. You disagree with me with with me on the original Frank? Wait, what? (laughs) I understand that it's a great story, but how many times can you use the word wretched in one book? Oh my God, it drives me nuts. They were, okay, listen. So first <laughs> off, the original publication was clearly funded by Big Wretch. And <laughs> they needed to get a plug in every paragraph. <laughs> I want to be the next doctor so I can go back in time and meet Mary Shelley once again and give her a thesaurus. <laughs> I did enjoy the story, honestly, but there were some things that bothered me. <laughs> it, it, that is completely fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Still, still totally, totally loved it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Immortal Beloved. Very good story. Right, yes. Blood of the Daleks. Another jumping on point, if you haven't listened to that yet. It's a very good story. It, again, it's got a few problems, but it's very good. It's wonderfully produced. That was the very first Eighth Doctor adventure, and in fact, very first Big Finish audio adventure that I ever heard. Really? And I was introduced to the whole thing by by JD. We met at the JD was super duper kindly 
provided tickets to the 50th anniversary convention in London and were standing in line to the like multi-doctor panel, Tom Baker, Ed Al, and can't remember if we were there for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, however long it was, but we're just in this queue during which we basically decide we're going to start reviewing audiobooks on Who Back When. And he sold me on the idea of Blood of the Daleks. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a mind-blowing episode. I even remember, viscerally remember the theme tune that they used for that one. This really hardcore, very industrial Doctor Who theme. Yes. It's beautiful. I think they went out of their way to make a soundscape that was just phenomenal in that story. And such a complex story. It is. I don't know if it's chronologically the first time that this happens, but it's certainly the first time that I encountered the eugenics ideology of the Daleks being almost turned on its head or faced inwards. You, you see that later on in New Who every now and then, but to me was was even mind-blowing as a concept. Yes, yeah. It's a very complex story, and it's one that I think if you listen to it, you're going to revisit it a, a couple times. Certainly. Human Resources is another one just like that, but with the Cybermen. I'm literally hovering over my Human Resources bullet point right now. Yes. Heck, such a good... That's a double feature, I think, as well. That's an, an incredible production. The actual production value of that audio adventure is tremendous. Yes. And the that one... The scariness of it. Oh, my God. That so. one in particular is, like I was saying before... Companion heavy. It's very much her story and yes, her leading true. charge up until maybe the second half. But wonderful, wonderful movie. Movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Head I said, movie. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right in thinking that that audio adventure introduced the headhunter? He was in that a few times before, but only as a running gag at the end of the episode. It was kind of like... Oh, that's right, yeah. Also um, she, I believe. It was kind of like the... Oh, yes, she. I'm sorry. It's kind of exactly like Missy. Yes, I was just about to say. Yes. yes. My God. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's where they got the concept from, but she literally would show up at the end of an episode and then move on. That's right. Yeah. I also can't remember this joke, but I believe all of those headhunter cameos inspired some kind of bondage closet in the audio <laughs> reviews that we did. I can't remember what that was, but there's something about a bondage closet. JD's listening. He knows what I'm talking about. I, I'll have a listen to that. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen. <laughs> Same. And then you're, you have your Poirot episode, the Max Warp. Which, which one is Max Warp? Max Warp I just listened to recently, and I loved it. This is very, very much not a Doctor Who story per se. You could argue it either way. But basically, he, they show up on a planet with a... There's a, pro, a production going on. It shows you how much I remember it. It was so good. Is this basically um, the... What's it called? The TV... I can't remember what the TV show called. Like the actual human Earth TV show about cars. What's it called? Yes, it's a ripoff on that. On Whatever it's called. It's Car the Nerd. show. That, that show. Called? Yeah, the thing with the guy who's an arsehole. Um, Top Gear. That's the Top one. Gear? Well done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So they show up in the middle of a production of show That's and right. they have to solve a murder mystery. And it's all about a procedural murder mystery in Doctor Who life. It I sounds, loved it. It was, it I great. thought it was going to be horrible. It was so good. 
This sounds so good. I, I can't really remember it at all. I wonder what I gave it. A 4.1! Yeah, yes. there you go. Yes. Nice. I would have given it a 4.3. You what, sorry? I would have given it a 4.3. I think, I don't know if that's one I filled in on the website yet, but that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. it, it it's not, okay. unless I forgot to add stuff to it. I apologize if that's the case. Oh, nice. Yes. Very nice. So, th- so that's my list of best I had totally forgotten about Max Warp. I had, I, I also had Human Resources, Immortal Beloveds on my list. I had two double features as well, and they are Sisters of the Flame and Vengeance of Morbius, which I don't, I don't remember that much about it, like the actual nitty gritty of the plot. But as a double feature, it stands out to me as such a well thought out and well constructed story. I remember some of the side characters and thinking you've really fleshed out this universe in this double feature. Plus, it's a callback to Classic Who, which which I, I don't mind. So that was one. And the other one is the absolute finale of the Eighth Doctor Adventures, the Lucy Miller and To the Death, yes. which was so dramatic and such an in- incredible closer to what is legitimately an era in its own right of audio who i haven't listened to either of those oh yeah treat yourself live a little the but do that when you've listened to the other ones leading up to it yes build it up edge yourself if i had a most wanted the thing i'm i'm most anticipating listening to is the dark eyes series what's that so it's one of those ongoing story arcs I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what it's all about, but is it Ace um, Doctor? Yes. Right, Basically right. it's a series of three or four episodes that explores the Doctor and if I'm not mistaken, a character not dissimilar to the Valyard who is taken to the next level. Right, I'm making note of that one. Dark Eyes, yes. you said. Right. Yes. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Good recommendation. Well, that would bring me to my if we can skip ahead if you can indulge that the most the best villain oh right okay yeah 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 so i'm being totally speculative on this but because of that there is someone coming up in the audio dramas that i've yet to listen to called the 11 and i guess i'm not going to give too much away because this is in the trailers the teasers for these episodes okay but the 11 is basically a time lord who has multiple personalities i can't wait to hear stories about that i would love to hear that (laughs) That is a very cool concept. Okay. Interesting. My best villain is the Headhunter for okay. the Eighth Doctor. In, in a sense, I, I do also kind of want to nominate Eric Roberts as the master, but he's both the best and worst villain for reasons already disclosed. Yes. Hilariously, wonderfully, orgasmically bad. I love to hate him and hate to love him. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Huh. How about worst villain? You know what? I can't really put my finger on any, but there have been some turds for sure. Oh, I thought I had one there. Hang on. I'm going in. (laughs) Start us off. What have you got? The goat people. I have them as worst aliens. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I didn't make the distinction, but yes. (laughs) No, but that's fair. That's completely fair. It's such... In Scapegoat, right? Yes. Scapegoat, which is... We didn't talk about worst stories. Scapegoat is one of my potential worst stories. (laughs) <laughs> it is it is a hard one to get through not only for the story but because that group of characters or character is annoying it's grating and it's, when you're listening to an audio drama and it's only coming through your ears and you can't tear yourself away it hurts <laughs> i completely agree yeah on top of which lazy lazy yes. pun really lazy okay yes <laughs> 
And it's perhaps a little too Jesus on the cross similar. You know what I mean? Yes. Because at the massive spoilers for the scapegoat that no one should listen to. No, sorry. Everyone should listen to the scapegoat because a lot of love and effort went into that. Wait, wait, no, no. Everyone it's should shit. listen to the Who Back When review of The Scapegoat. <laughs> <laughs> In The Scapegoat, as I recall, the, the Scapegoat is some kind of creature that is killed to take on, essentially to nullify the, the sins of the rest of the community. And they decide we're going to make the Doctor the Scapegoat because he can be killed over and over and over again. He'll just regenerate. And it's just so the Messiah dies for your sins, E, that it's it's just really on the nose. I do have one caveat for these. For my worst episodes, Yeah, um, I did try and, when I was desperate and, and had absolutely no money, I was desperate to listen to some of these audios. I did tap into the BBC player on the internet, oh, yeah. and I recorded some of these stories to listen to. And I found out later that these were the versions that were played on the Radio 7, mm. which apparently were cut down versions of the full Big Finish audios. Right. Or they were modified in some way. So I may not, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen to them. To me, the ones that I did that with were some of the worst stories. And that's what really disheartened me originally about Doctor Who audios. But I'm going to have to go back and listen to them again. They're probably better than I remember. And I will listen to the, the full Big Finish version. Does anything in particular stand out as an example? Something that you may have unjustly rated down? Yes. You guys thought decently well of The Cannibalists. Uh, Loved I, The Cannibalists! I did what? not like that. And I feel that's probably because either I missed the joke or... <laughs> Or I was listening yeah. to a cut-down radio version because it was more like they showed up, these guys, robots talked for a while, and they left. Right, yeah. I remember that one being fantastic. Yeah, so okay. I will have to listen to that real version again. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That's that's legitimately one I would recommend. And same goes with uh, Situation Vacant. Which... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't. Okay, so... <laughs> tell me, tell me. So, I have two more on my worst stories list. One of them is Horror of Glamrock. Yes. And the other one is Situation Vacant, which is the actor e story. It's no, just just don't. I, I, life's too short. Okay. <laughs> Listen to one of the new ones instead. Yeah. <laughs> I hear the Dark Eyes series is really interesting. So maybe check that out. Nice. No, Situation Vacant was as I recall, very haphazardly structured, really yes. chaotic, not particularly well thought out. I'm sure it was well acted. And, I, it, I, and as is the case with all of the big finish stories, even the ones that aren't necessarily super compelling, the production values are really high. They, they are super talented people working on this, and they're clearly working long hours to put together these stories. So it's all from that point of view it's all worthwhile but every now and then you feel like production value kind of outweigh the quality of editorial input and situation vacant sadly one of those yes i can recommend the review <laughs> it definitely again i listened to it so long ago that i don't remember too much but it definitely left a taste in my mouth that was not as good as what i'm drinking now <laughs> so how is that pint of treating you so i apologize I thank you thank you horribly horribly vulgar maybe i should have turned off my camera before i did that <laughs>
Is there anything else on stories you want to say, or shall we jump ahead to the next category? The only thing I was going to do was call out some significant stories. Again, oh, I haven't please. really listened to these, yeah, but just by their descriptions. An Earthly Child, which you have listened to. Yes, yes, I remember that very well. Which is the thing you guys have talked about over and over and over again with the Doctor finally going to revisit Susan. Yeah. After dropping her off and, and leaving her on the side of the road, hailing a, a potato taxi. farmer in post-apocalyptic London with one shoe. <laughs> Dick um, move, Hartnell. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> And the I, other I just one, it up. we give it. I, I give it three point one. Drew only gave it two point four. I, I do remember it being uh, elaborate at the very least. Maybe okay. not psychologically and emotionally satisfying in the way that they were aiming for, but like complex. You know. Yeah, I would love anything with revisiting Susan. Um, there is that fan-produced movie with Susan and I can't remember who else. I want to say Peter Davison and they're on a cruise ship and it's clearly just, hey, if we give you like a grand each and we pay for your ticket on this cruise, do you want to shoot a movie with us? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There isn't a convention on that week and it looks less than great. Anyway, sorry, that's a terrible reference. If you're looking for something with Susie, I can recommend that. <laughs> This is kind of coming back to me. I think this isn't part of the Stranger series, though, right? This was something else. This is a, I hesitate to call it a film. It's a video. I don't know how long it is. I want to say it's something like 15, 20 minutes. Tops. Tops. It's like an episode shot on a, on a cruise ship. Okay. And maybe the Rani is in it as well. As in, they even got the actor. This sounds familiar. Yeah. Sorry. Total buzzkill no. reference. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, I, I, you've you've called me back to a whole bunch of things. <laughs> I was name dropping, and I said that I met Sylvester McCoy per se. Oh, you met Sylvester McCoy? Did you many years at a convention ago? Oh. It was it was he and Sophie. Oh and wow! They, they came to America, and they, they actually did it two years in a row. Nice. But the first year, we actually got involved, and one of the things they did was this. It was kind of like supposed to be a, a talent show per se. They did a little talent show, but there was also more of a role playing aspect to it later on, and and that was really fun. You know, I don't oh, think I actually, other than asking him my stupid question when I raised my hand and he was answering questions with everybody, and what was your? He what said, was your you're, a, "You're." I don't even know what my question was. I, tr I tried to not ask the questions like, what does the ray gun shoot and why is it blue? Um, <laughs> I tried to ask more from an acting point of view or something like that. Interesting. Know? Yeah. My background is, is in the television production or video production realm. So I was always interested in stuff like that. I tried to approach it from, well, what do they want me to ask? <laughs> Hopefully something that nobody's ever asked them before. Nice. But in any case, they were they were super nice, and they were just crazy people. They had a lot of fun. They were great at improv. Improv. They were they did a lot of fun fun things. I can totally see that being the case. Well, certainly for him anyway, but only because I'm more familiar with him. Right. And I totally forget why I was bringing this up. But in any case, it was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, I've, I've seen him on stage. I've never met him in person. Have you met anyone else from Doctor Who? Any any other actors? Sorry, Tangent, but fun Tangent, I think. Ian Levine. Nice. Yes. Benton. Oh, my God. Uh, um, I've met Benton as well. <laughs> the guy you could sit and talk to for hours. Oh, my God. I wish. But did you? I got legitimately starstruck when I met Benton. 
to the point that I think he almost pitied me slash felt incredibly good about himself, stood up, walked around his little desk, put his arm around me and just like gave me a hug. Like, don't worry, kid. It's going to be okay. Oh, oh, oh I applaud you. Ian That's Levine. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that conversation more than anybody else. I said, Doctor Who couldn't have been the same without you guys. And he said, well, that's very touching and that means a lot. Thank you. And I was like, so what are you doing nowadays and so forth? And he said, I'm selling cars and so forth. Really? The thing is, I don't know about you, but for me, when I met him, it was suddenly him asking me questions. He wanted to know what I was like. And that was, I remember this as well. Yeah, no, I do remember this as well. Oh my God, that is the used car salesman in him, isn't yes. it? He's like, he knows exactly how to put you in your comfort zone, make you feel really special. And then all of a sudden he goes, so how do you feel about it? Do you ever see yourself in a Honda Civic? The, the... <laughs> yes, I will buy any car you give me. Fender <laughs> falling off, yes. The shirt he was wearing to that convention was all... Oh my God. And <laughs> that weird inflatable floppy man standing next to him. <laughs> Wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing man. <laughs> what a what a guy! Oh my God, I I hope that he comes back to a London Comic Con because I have to walk up. I I feel like I owe him a hug at this point. Yes. Oh, what a man! Yeah, great, great character. Anyone else? Don't know if I've met else? too many other Doctor Who character people. I've met Colin Baker here in Oxford. He there was an Oxford Comic Con. I think they did it, did it two years, three years. We did little reviews of them at the time. And and he was at one of them. Was very very nice, very jovial, very kind, very generous with his time. Recorded a little intro for the podcast at the time. Really seemed like a, such a lovely man. And the only other person I met was also at Oxcon, and it was I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It was the guy who was he, he's a blue guy, a relatively corpulent chap who was painted blue, and his head was put in a box. I can't remember the name of the character. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. He was like a monk or something, something like they that. Yeah, the monks or something like that. He he was in such a bad mood, poor guy, at the pod, uh, at the convention, and I do remember being a bit of an arsehole at the time as well, walking up to. Him. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. Never met Paul McGann. No, and and again, another person who I wish I could tap into and say, hey, what was it like for you during this time? You're carrying this weight of an entire series on your back that has lasted since the 1960s. Yeah. And it's not even on the air, and yet everyone knows it front and back. Um, So I've seen Paul McGann on stage, and he struck me as a less passionate about Doctor Who than than I wanted him to be. Okay. Very pragmatic, very sort of professional in a sense. Like he, he's an actor. He he was there to do a job. The audiobooks, they're a job. So I wonder if you were to meet him and ask him about th- this weight on your shoulders, the immense responsibility of furthering the canon of Doctor Who, I, I wonder if that's also possibly risky territory to step on. Christopher Eccleston kind of gives similar vibes. But Definitely, yeah, I agree. It's, it's not offensive. It's not a bad thing. It's just, at the end of the day, these people are actors, and that's their job. You're Whether so they right. get invested in the character or not, or how much, to what extent, that's totally their domain. You're we so right. I'm judging so much unfairly. Yeah. yeah. You know, as fans, we'd like to think that everyone is invested in the show as we are. But at the end of the day, these guys are just trying to feed their families. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, that kind of goes into when you see people at some of these conventions... Some of them are really into it and some of them aren't. And and some of them will do decades of conventions and some of them will do one or two. And that's fine. Depends a little bit on what kind of career they have. Right. Host Doctor Who, presumably. 
right or how seminal their characters were because sometimes that in itself can just be a career you played a really important character you have no interest in furthering the industry and uh, as such then you can probably make a living just going to conventions and feeling really good about having contributed positively to to this franchise there was an old show american show called taxi i don't know if you ever saw it of course what are you talking okay. about of course there was an episode where um, they go to a celebrity party and they think they're going to meet all these amazing stars, TV stars and everything. And, you know, they're going to get autographs and they're all starstruck and everything. And mm -hmm. one of the guys at the end, he starts making this argument. He's like, they're all just people. They're just normal people. <laughs> and then he rushes back into the party to get everybody's autograph. That's kind of what it's like. You know? <laughs> all right, okay. um, so back to the original thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, remind um, me, what were you talking about? Significant Stories, I was just going to call out Zagreus, which, again, I haven't listened to, but is a multi-doctor story, and Paul McGann is part of it. And apparently, it sets up a lot of lore, almost as much as there's a story called Lungbarrow. But Oh, uh, I've heard that title as well. Yeah. Apparently, both of them set up a lot of lore and Doctor Who history that may or may not play into the whole pre-Timeless Child feeling. Oh, oh, interesting. I was going to say something. Is it somehow related to the name of the Doctor? I'm not 100% sure. I think I haven't listened is. to them either, to be fair. So Yeah, I'm only going on speculation here. But again, it's a story that is well quoted in many realms. So yeah. definitely one to listen to if you only listen to a few and you're interested in the lore. Well, this is this is really good. I'm getting a very decent list of recommendations of what of the Doctor we're doing a retrospective on. I still <laughs> need to explore. That's very good. Very helpful. It's funny because I feel like Paul McGann is this guy who, yeah, he did this one story, he did this movie, and, and he made some cameos here and there, but you got to love him. <laughs> it's, it's difficult not to. Yeah, no, it's it's very important. There's there's so much hope and longing riding on this doctor simply for for reasons of of the character being absent from television when right. he shows up that it's almost natural even what's his face van what's his face i can't remember his name now uh, something van gorkum that guy harold van gorkum thanks for listening harold <laughs> that, that guy if he had been the eighth doctor the same kind of responsibility would have rested on his shoulders and it's very possible that we would have felt exactly the same way about him or at least in a similar way we would have felt about him yes anyway we have more categories we should plow on shall we talk companions or rather shall you talk companions because i've really only encountered two of them uh best companions very hard to nail down i love so many of them um honestly though i'd have to put lucy at the top nice. and then oh same <laughs> charlie second grace third and this brings us back to one i was going to mention from the comic strip yeah. i haven't read the comic strips but i have listened to a doctor who story called the maltese penguin and there is a <laughs> character called frobisher right yes that's such a good <laughs> title for a story by the way yeah first off the concept of a shape changer that prefers the form of a penguin is phenomenal <laughs> it's great <laughs> and and yes it fits into the comic strip and and it's a little hokey but listen to the maltese penguin oh my god that is such a great story i was so skeptical and i loved it Fabisher is great <laughs> I believe I'm listening to it tomorrow, in fact, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and then we're going to round it out with Liv, who haven't listened to too many of, but I adore. I just don't know if she's... I've listened to her more in the spinoffs than I have in Doctor Who episodes. 
So I don't know how she is with McGann too much. Not among the companions that he lists in Night of the Doctor. Correct. She's down on the list. Oh, I see. Right. Interesting. She's one of the later ones. Right, right, right. And and finally Mary Shelley back again. I love the idea of Doctor Who hanging with Mary Shelley. I wanted That's to ask great. you about this. So I've not listened to any of them without spoiling it. How does that even work? Is she just plucked out of time and... So this, there, this doesn't change history, presumably. There is absolutely no chance of spoiling it because I haven't listened to any of them either. Oh, right. Okay. Well, there you go then. <laughs> but I can say that, like it's in, in Storm Warning, the very beginning of Storm Warning, he talks about uh, about being with her and being part of the group of writers who sat around the table and told stories mm, when okay. she wrote Frankenstein. When she wrote Frankenstein. Correct. So at the beginning of Frankenstein, she talks about how she she sat used to sit with a bunch of her companions or so forth, and they would tell scary stories or something. Yeah, this is the Villa Diodati, night at the Villa Diodati, of the Villa Diodati, whatever. Right. So he supposedly was in on that. Okay. He, he reads something about, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, she, he reads the first chapter of her book or the first opening lines, and he says something like, she says, oh, the four of us used to sit around and tell stories. He's like, that's not right. There were five. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I do want to listen to them. I wonder how that tallies with the Jodie Whittaker episode. But regardless, I agree with you. Right. And then Grace, obviously. Grace is Grace is Grace and yes, I wish so much that she would have come back. I honestly feel like they wrote the story in a way that they kept their options open. Because you remember back in those days they didn't know what was gonna happen, they didn't know who was gonna ask for more money. So realistically, if I'm a producer of a show or a movie, I would have said, let's plan on writing her out at the end of the episode. If we pick up into a TV series, then we can ask her. And if she agrees to come back and if the money's right, then the doctor shows up and talks to her again and, and takes her on as a companion. If it's not, we go with somebody else. So that's how I feel like they wrote her departure. Oh, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I think it's all money. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, that's a very sensible approach from the production standpoint. I hadn't yeah. considered that. Yeah, but why they didn't pick her up in the audio dramas, I don't know. Maybe they Yeah, didn't. shame on them. Interesting. Do you have any worst companions? No, I've literally only met two of his companions. And I did not do the research. I Zero due diligence. I haven't even done research into which companions other people think should be lined up against a wall. I do feel like Lee was a little bit underused especially in the second half of the movie, but I'm going to... Lee, oh my God. Too I'm going to put a little asterisk next to my worst companions. The asterisk is, I know nothing of these companions. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> per se. In podcast land. Josie Day. And the only reason I'm listing, listing this, this companion is because I don't like the name. I'm already with you. Absolutely. It's one of the comic strip characters. Could be an amazing companion. I don't know. But oh. just going by what I know, which is only the name, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put her as her, him as the worst. I'm now I thinking, it's her. I wonder if we have encountered Josie Day on Who Back When in one of the comics. If it's the companion I'm thinking of, she's pretty good. Okay. It's possible that I'm completely mistaken. I'm going to look it up now on Who Back When. I'll, I'll have to go find them. Titan Comics, anyway. That was the name okay. of the company. Yeah, the, I think she was in Doctor Who Magazine comics. I don't know if that's the same or not. Right, okay. I do have one other worst companion. Okay. And this one is going to cause a lot of controversy. Bernice Summerfield. And I'll tell you why. Okay. I think she's amazing. 
and her individual big finish stories that I've listened to, the ones where she's on her own are so good that I can't comprehend her being a companion of the doctor. She's an amazing character and I love really? her standalone stuff. Oh, that's, that's a really good save. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I'm sure eventually I'll get to listening to her, but I, I can't imagine how they would interact because she's so headstrong and so independent. Right. Great, Those great are audiobooks that have been on my list for like, literal years, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're rattling through this. Anyone else? No, that's what I got for, for characters. Right. Now, there um, is one section that we've kind of avoided was the audio, the books, the written books. I've not read any of them. I haven't either. <laughs> so maybe that's just I probably best avoided. <laughs> But I hear the page turners. <laughs> that's that's our review of Doctor Who, the Eighth Doctor audiobooks. That is, in fact, the very last bullet point on my list of notes over here. Is there anything about the Eighth Doctor that you feel we haven't covered? Anything? Who is the Eighth Doctor for you, and what do you want to see? Obviously, we want to see an Eighth Doctor spin-off series. Obviously, we want to see a return of the Eighth Doctor. Yada yada yada. But what is it that? Where would you like the Eighth Doctor to go? Contrary to what I said before, I would love to see the Eighth Doctor in some of the more obscure villains that we've already seen. Oh, um, okay. I Such think, as who? Again, I have that craving for the very early years, but I think he's done the Suntarans. He's done the Ice Warriors. I would love to see... I, w I would always love to see anyone with the Vord. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> But those kind of characters, those kind of villains where, again, you have that human touch. They're not a full-on monster. Right. Some, someone where you can impose human-related emotions would be amazing for Paul McGann. Maybe the Sea Devils, if he hasn't done anything with them. Maybe he has. Or the, the Silurians, mm -hmm. something like that. Could be interesting. We just did Legend of the Sea Devils in the New Who channel. I, I feel like I've had my fill of Sea Devils for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll get you there. But, but it, I take your point on board, absolutely. Perhaps in audiobook form with a better writing. Sorry, with writing, it could be good. That might work. Yeah, I just want more. Yeah. How better can you put it? I think that's a fantastic review in its own right. And also, I don't think you have to worry because it seems as though there is a never-ending supply of it. Yeah. Paul McGann certainly seems happy to continue doing this. The Eighth Doctor will continue to thrive. It may turn out that, relatively speaking, weird way of phrasing it when talking about a Time Lord, but relatively speaking, it may be that the Eighth Doctor has had more, like a more adventure-dense lifetime than any other Doctor. Yeah, I would agree. He was around when nobody else was, and even now that they've had other Doctors doing audio dramas and so forth, he's been around for all of that too. So yeah. he's existed in parallel with many of the other doctors. Yeah. And while all of them have their amazing stories, his stories still kind of wow, because again, he's somebody who you're rooting for as the doctor and you're rooting for as a character that has never been the doctor enough. Those are frankly lovely closing words and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. So, so uh, summing up the Eighth Doctor, here, here's what I have. Right. I have never been this excited in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I'm going to read it verbatim here. Some doctors took a bit of time to become what fans consider to be the doctor. McGann did it in one story. I think the delivery of all of his lines just screams, I'm the doctor. He says, these shoes, they're perfect. And I hear, I'm the doctor. He says, <laughs> we're too late. The translation, I'm the doctor. I get less of this in some audio dramas here and there, but by that time, it's too late. He's already the doctor. He's excitable and enthusiastic when something fascinates him, but he's equally appalled and condescending when something is not right. He's open and honest about people's flaws when he often slaps them with a proverbial fish when <laughs> just the perfect amount of comedic timing. They never see it coming and they never have time to rebuke him. He, he's just quintessential, like the, the insult king. <laughs> what makes him likable most, though, is how he elevates his companions. He is in the driver's seat, but they are just as likely to save the day. You guys noted in your movie review that with Grace, it carries over a bit into the audio. Lucy, Charlie, Liv, they all get to be inspired to be the best that they can when they're with him. And that's what I think sets his doctor apart from all the others. I'm not sure that some of them would have done the same with any other doctor. Another thing that sets many of his companions apart is that they're not afraid to confront him. I mentioned this before. Yeah. It doesn't cause friction. In every case, every time that happens, it makes their bond stronger. He respects them more because of that. Now, to go backwards, to be fair, he's only had 2.1 video appearances, and that probably biases most of us, thinking he's maybe a little bit better than he is. The fans desperately want more of Paul McGann's Doctor, and because we don't have it, we're probably more inclined to appreciate the moments we do have. So maybe it's a little bit of, again, rose-colored glasses. Hmm. But still, so many of audio, his audios are enthralling, and this Doctor knows how to do continuing story arcs. They're not all great. When there's a stinker, they really, really poo, <laughs> as you guys have reviewed. Uh, I also feel like he has some, again, not a knock on Paul McGann. It's kind of the way audio dramas are written, and it's a flaw of audio dramas. But when he has some solo monologues, I feel like some doctors have pulled those off better. He gets mm. a little bit... He's very theatrical. Yeah, it feels like he's doing a monologue. Yeah. Um, he also comes off a little melancholy on occasion, like he can sometimes very slightly border on just going through the motions when he's doing audios. And those times are few or far between, though. Still, even less in an average story, there's always the eighth Doctor and his companions who are a joy to listen to. And this Doctor is better with new villains than recurring ones. Mm -hmm. uh, not sure why that is, but the recurring ones, he seems to let his companions do more of the work. And he's especially good with humanoid antagonists, as we talked about. And in many cases, those are the best stories. I love McGann's Doctor. I feel bad saying this, but I wish he had used him in the anniversary special instead of, of anybody else that was up for the grabs. And I don't want to take any audio adventures away from the people who've taken over for the War Doctor because they're phenomenal also. But I feel like that was the part he should have played. I could easily see this Doctor slipping into a state where he finally feels the need to fight back. That's kind of of where he's at. It's truly, if I had to sum him up, he's the doctor of missed opportunities. And yet he's the one who carried us through this dark time and back again, because he's never been able to be anyone's doctor in a way he's become everyone's doctor. And like others before him, he's elevated both the character and the show to new heights. I personally can't wait to listen to more of his stories. And I'm on a quest to hear every story he's done. I give him a 4.6. Wow. Well, you have a very big heart. Fabulous review. Fabulous mini. 
it wasn't very much of a mini, so feel free to cut it down. Well, very nice maxi then. <laughs> I can absolutely never follow follow that. So here's what I'm going to say. I find the Eighth Doctor more relatable than many of the other Doctors. Either the other ones are too alien, they're too macho, they're too cool, they're too mysterious, too enigmatic, too intelligent sometimes. The Eighth Doctor is, and this is not just the half-human side of uh, the Eighth Doctor-ish, it's just, he's just more relatable, more compelling for that reason. By the way, thanks for listening, Paul. Ever since <laughs> I stood outside Paddington having a smoke break back in the good old days of cigarettes, and Paul McGann walked past me and I thought to myself, holy smokes, that is a time lord, even in civilian clothing. Ever since then have I realized that Paul McGann is, in every single conceivable way, the best man for the job of eight. I'm sorry, you said you never met him. That counts. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not. Anyway, somewhere in the very high fours, probably. I don't know how you're going to list that on the website. You you should give him a Tracy rating, I, I believe. that That's appropriate. Oh, yes. That's an excellent idea. Hang on. Because he's the eighth doctor, an octopus with... <laughs> With an ice cream cone in every in every arm, and then some. No, wait, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's Tracy enough. Tracy, thanks for listening. Please help me out here. <laughs> anyway, that's all from us. How about we have a listen to the one listener mini that came in for this yes, retrospective? Yes. <laughs> listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max two fifty, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron podcast land and welcome to the listener mini singular section of this podcast episode. We have exactly one kapow listener mini ready for your listening pleasure. This one comes from Isaac. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Isaac. Isaac starts. I thought I'd missed my chance to review the movie, but good news for me, I can do a retrospective. It's a great film. He's an awesome doctor. Anyway, he shines on Big Finish. He's the best audio doctor. Awards time. <laughs> best movie? The movie. Best TARDIS interior of all time. Gosh, that TARDIS is sick. I love how lived in it feels. Makes every other TARDIS interior look like shit. That's definitely true. Best wobbly window award. The wobbly window from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best online mini sub. Night of the Doctor. <laughs> Was there any other choice? <laughs> and Isaac concludes, gosh, 250 words is a lot, isn't it? Award the bit where he does his pre-run little excited stamping was super adorable? Question mark? End of mini review. Thank you very much for your mini, Isaac. I believe that translates to a 4.6 plus. Yes, and I will definitely listen to that review again and go traipsing up and down the lawn using <laughs> my footwear. <laughs> Please do. Uh, people who are not Isaac, uh, you can say hi to Isaac online. He can be found where, Peter? At MS Monster Adams. That's Adams with one D. Doop-a-doop. <laughs> Thank you very much, Isaac. And thank you, literally no one else who sent in a mini review for this podcast episode. <laughs> Holy smokes. That rounds off, I believe, this retrospective. The penultimate Doctor retrospective of Who Back When, very Don't likely. It's time. Don't tell me it's time. <laughs> no. I've had an absolutely fabulous time. Peter, before we round this off, in fact, let me see. 
I've had an absolutely fabulous time. This is not just the Negroni. This is me. I'm so glad that you managed to join Who Back When for a recording before we reach the the absolute end. You said at the very start of this recording that you're here because you, you've listened to more audiobooks than I have. That is not true. You are here because you are a fabulous chap, as Aww. everyone in podcast land can now attest to. So thank you so much. I can't thank you guys enough. You guys have provided me with and probably everyone else with companionship interesting stories a whole lot of laughs this has been such an amazing adventure and i can't my hat is off to you guys you guys have done such an amazing job and it has been an honor to contribute in every small way that i possibly could have oh go on (laughs) (laughs) i'm starstruck man i'm starstruck Right. So this is not quite the last of Doctor Who or Who Back When, however. Really? What's next? Well, next up in the classic channel, nope. Next up in the New Who channel, the very last of New Who, in fact, or the very last of Whitaker, certainly, it's the power of the Doctor. I would love to chime in here and say I've just looked at your website and the very next classic who review is an unearthly child i can't Uh, wait yeah i believe you'll find that we are recording that on the 15th of august 2096 and it will drop the the following sunday perfect perfect i look forward to it yeah yeah so send in your minis before that however we're going to be recording an audio who review uh very appropriate do you know what that is uh, peter you know there's this story that keeps hitting the back of my mind i forget the name but (laughs) <laughs> maybe you've said it before, maybe you've redacted it. Oh, nice. Very nice. Have you listened to it, by the way? No. Unfortunately, I've listened to very few of the new Doctor Who audio adventures, other than some short stories, which I loved all of them. I can wholeheartedly recommend it. I'm only halfway through redacted so far. It's 10 episodes. I've listened to five of them, or uh, maybe six of them, actually. It's it's really good. It's definitely worth listening to. Spoiler alert for that review. And after that, at some point, we're going to get around to another bonus Who episode. It will be the 13th Doctor retrospective. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the meantime, I believe you can say hello to us in one way or another. Can people get in touch with you online? Or would you like to, would you like to plug anything? That's what podcasters say, I believe. <laughs> I I am not a big social media person, but I will say watch this space. Okay. I have a few projects. I I don't want to promise anything, but I have a few projects. And if and when they come through, I would like to say that I have my preference for where they will be posted and debuted. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. Podcast land. Just uh, realize that I am tapping the side of my nose right now. So yeah, (laughs) very good stuff. And in the meantime, please do read and reply to every single mini review Peter has posted on whobackone.com. Inundate his inbox with notifications. You can see Even better, check out the damn website. (laughs) I feel like I'm the only one of three people who's ever posted on the website. Post on the website, guys. You can say hi to me as well. I can be found at Ponkin for goodness knows what reason. P-O-N-K-E-N. You know what, Podcast Land? You've been a lovely audience. Thank you so much for listening. Rock on. Be rad and excellent to each other. And uh, cha-chao. Bye. <laughs> I don't have a sign-off. <laughs>
That's your sign-off. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao.